This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra-modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email joe at gregmorriscards.com directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 149 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, thank you to those of you that reached out to me on social media this week with your hobby goals using the hashtag 2022 hobby goals. Uh, I was really impressed by some of the responses I received, and I can't wait to cheer you guys on throughout the course of the year. One submission in particular that really stood out to me came from the handle at MC Basketball PC. And I'll tell you what, this thing was no joke. So he split his goal into four categories, and he made a big post about it. There were multiple pages, but the categories were budget and capital relational, experiential, and collection. And then he had a graphic that broke down each one of those. And once again, I'm a firm believer that listing your goals publicly helps keep you accountable and it helps others help you out. So for example, under his relational tab, he mentioned that he wants to get into hobby Twitter. And that's something I've been working on myself. So if I see that he's created an account on there, Um, It's only right for me then to kind of tag him in a tweet and ask all my basketball people to give him a follow. So um, hopefully we can help each other out with these goals. Now, also on his post on another graphic, he constructed a visual to show off his collection pyramid. So he had Mike Conley at the very top. And then a couple levels down, he had an interesting mix of Dak Prescott, Bill Russell, and Sharif Abdurrahim. Now, don't ask me how he connects those in his mind, but I love seeing that. It seems totally random to me, but I know there's some sort of rhyme or reason behind it, and it'll give me something interesting to ask him about the next time I chat with him. Anyway, I reposted that on my story sometime last weekend. If you missed out on that, you can still find it on his profile. Once again, his handle is at PC. He really went above and beyond my request to sit down and hammer out some goals, so thank you again for that. Uh, That was really fun to read. Another thing I really enjoyed this week, because I want to share these things with you guys, and and you know what, I would say um, it, it certainly appears to me that people were in a creative mood this last week or two. I guess everyone got a little time off work and they were able to recharge and dive into the hobby a little bit. I love it. The community prospers because of that. Um, So another thing I enjoyed, I guess you would call it a research paper of sorts, was posted on the blowout forums by a collector named Joey. And you can find him on Instagram under the handle at JimMintPop1. But he drafted up this whole multi-page write-up talking about some of the similarities between your old school PMGs, all the different iterations, 
and the new Flux Titan insert and the parallels that go with it. I'll be honest, I had kind of dismissed the Flux product entirely because the base set looks like Topps Chrome cards that had greened over the years. You know, the cards that we're desperately trying to purge from our collections. And there were plenty of memes about it, but it really did seem like Panini was just trolling us. They literally made a Chromium product that has a green tint to it. Um, I've always begged for continuity between decades. I guess I should be more careful what I wish for. Anyway, some of the inserts in the product don't have the same green tint to them, so I can't figure out everything in there. But anyway, um, some of them don't have that tint. And Joey has a theory that they might be inspired by different components of all the iterations of PMGs over the years. And aside from the scope pattern, I didn't see it at first. And I even talked about that scope pattern recently when I talked about the very generous gift of that Austin Crozier PMG that I received. So yeah, it had the same scope pattern, but I didn't see all the rest of the similarities. But he has visuals in this thread to go along with every example and it looks like he very well could be right. So it forced me to look at things differently, and I appreciate that. Now, am I rushing out to buy any of the Titan inserts? No, I'm not. But do I have a new respect for them? Absolutely. And that's the kind of stuff that I like to read. As you guys know, I'm a firm believer in message boards as a productive medium for hobby-related conversations. I think a lot of good information these days is being posted in places where um, maybe it's, you know, it won't be as searchable or it won't be as shareable in the future. And I tell you what, that's a shame. So Joey, I know you're a loyal listener of this show. You have been for some time now. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you taking the time this week to share your talents with the blowout forums. For those of you that haven't checked that out yet, the thread is titled the flux Titan, a research paper. I promise you, if that sounds like something that might appeal to you, it's well worth your time. Okay, so there is one hobby headline that I absolutely have to talk about today. I think you already know which one. Earlier this week, Fanatics announced that they're buying tops. Well, technically, the information leaked out first. The official announcement was soon to follow. Either way, it's out there. I don't need to read the press release here. Chances are you've seen it by now. Uh, similar to the first big Fanatics-related bombshell, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I think in this hobby, we need a little less reaction and a little more context and perspective, if that makes any sense. And that's what I hope to provide for you today with this short little segment. I'll start with the reaction part, but just know it's shaped largely by context and perspective. So I was messaging with Corey, aka Don't Care Go Cats, on Instagram a couple days before all of this went down, and I talked about how I thought Upper Deck would be the best company for Fanatics to acquire. It would give them hockey, it would give them Jordan, it would give them LeBron. But my personal preference was Tops. I wanted a company that had a lot of basketball history behind it. I wanted Tops Chrome back. I wanted Heritage sets. You know, you've heard me fantasy book this stuff in some of the listener mailbags already, so that's no surprise. So, Monday night, Corey reached back out to me and said something like, you know, you got your wish. And like a lot of people, I'm pretty excited about this move. Things were on a bad trajectory. This feels like good news. So um, instead of regurgitating the same press release that was already plastered all over social media, I made a post that showed off some Tops card, and I just said Tops in all capital letters. And of course, there were still a few skeptics in the comments, 
you know, it wouldn't be the internet if they weren't there. But regardless, I was excited. I'm still excited. And I wanted to celebrate in the moment. And with that being said, some of the skeptics make valid points. A lot of things can happen over the course of 10 plus years. You know, it's kind of like, I guess it's like the Pacers this week. They re-signed Lance Stevenson. Um, I'm thrilled he's back, but I can't really expect to see 2014 Lance. And similarly, this probably won't be an exact match of the same Tops company that exited basketball in 2009, which, by the way, was flawed, like every other company. Um, they left us with a pretty basic rainbow, you know, refractor rainbow on the way out. Well, the landscape has changed, so expect them to move with the times. And what they've done with baseball is a pretty good indicator of that. I haven't followed that side of things as close, so I really can't break that down for you in detail. I just know that a lot of people have voiced their complaints about different things that Topps has been doing. Well, you know, we've seen it with the basketball side of things too, with Panini. In fact, you could even say that Topps was the company that put us on the path of unending parallels when they released a finest set in 2004 that had something like 14 different variations, which was unheard of back then. Um, all of that is to say, I think overall this is good news. I don't know if it's as good as some of the early reactions seem to indicate. You know, the grass, in fact, is not always greener on the other side, but in this case, it might be. Who knows? And this, you know, past Monday night, I read an analogy that I thought did a pretty good job of summing everything up. It came from a big baseball collector on Twitter that goes by the handle at Old Town Cards, and he wrote, quote, Fanatics acquiring tops reminds me of Disney acquiring Star Wars. Will they screw some things up? Sure. But I think they'll keep the strong history and enhance the brand in a way that the current regime cannot. I think this will be a huge win for collectors. End quote. Now I'll say this. I hope he's right. And for the time being, I'm going to be excited about the possibilities, just like I was excited about the Fanatics change in general. Are there components of it I'm not sure about? Absolutely. For example, the exclusive license still really scares me, but at the same time, it's time for a change. They've invested a lot of money into this thing, so it doesn't seem like they're going to start mailing it in anytime soon. And Panini didn't either when they first started. They courted us. And like I said when I issued my memorabilia manifesto, now is the time for you, the collector, to let your voice be heard. If you want to see something specific, let them know. Tweet them. Uh, write up a blowout post, make a YouTube video, dance around on TikTok, do something. And don't wait until the cards are printed. By that point, it'll be too late. Hey guys, my name is Nathan. You can find me on Twitter at AZ Trading Cards. I'm currently collecting certified autographed cards of the Phoenix Suns and Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm also always looking for regional oddball team sets of the Phoenix Suns, such as the Carnation Milk Panels. Also, collecting the 2000-2001 Stadium Club game jerseys of the Suns, I have the Jason Kidd, Sean Marion, and Rex Chapman. Thank you. Okay, on to the mail. I feel like I got a lot of stuff in this week, mainly because my desk is just covered in cards, although that's really no different than normal. But when I sat down and thought about it, though, I really only had one PC card come in, and this was an eBay win. This was a 2014-2015 flawless jumbo patch of Hall of Famer Louis Dampier, and this was the gold version numbered to 10. 
Now, this is actually my fifth Dampier patch from that year's Flawless. Um, yes, I am hoarding them, but um, this was my first gold copy, so that was exciting. And this gold foil looks really good on there. Actually, um, S. Howley and I were talking about that not too long ago, how the gold, how they really got it right that year. But um, anyway, on, on all of the foil runs, regardless you know if it's gold or not, for this Louis Dampier card, most of the patches are from his number which was the number 10. So the pieces themselves are relatively plain. You know, it's just white jersey and then a blue and red patch. But what really appeals to me is the fact that they came from a Kentucky Colonel's jersey. You don't see too much ABA game-worn stuff in general, let alone chopped up and put into cards. Um, I, you know, feel like I'll probably never own an entire jersey, so I like at least being able to own a little piece of history, and obviously cards allow for that to happen. All right, um, I'll go ahead and mention it here, I suppose, when it comes to the mail day, even though it's not basketball related. You might have seen it on my YouTube channel as well. I ended up grabbing a trio of 2008 WWE Topps Chrome Heritage Packs. Yes, I know, that's kind of strange. That's not really on brand. Um, but as the Million Dollar Man says, everybody's got a price, right? These were dirt cheap. I'd never opened any of them before. I had just gone on a wrestling podcast called Wrestling with Cards, which I think is going to come out in early February, so you want to be on the watch for that. And I thought, you know what? I want to open something I've never opened before. You guys know the feeling. Sometimes you just get the itch to open something. So I won't spoil the results for you here, but I will say it was a lot of fun. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle, grind, spam, profit. We're the Rip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Well, today's guest is another example of how the hobby works in uh, funny ways. Joining me today is someone I had a, a chance encounter with all the way back in December of 2016. We'll talk more about that later. We randomly reconnected in 2019, although we didn't realize it at the time, or at least I didn't. Thanks to another random interaction, this time on Twitter, where he goes by the handle at refs in the back. And here we are now recording an episode of a podcast together at the start of 2022. Randy, how are you doing, man? Kyle, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, uh, first time, long time. First time. First time. Awesome. First yeah. time, long time. I appreciate it. You're one of the guys that reached out to me at some point and was like, hey, I just listened to, you know. 30 of your episodes or whatever. And, and it just like blows my mind. I'll, I'll tell Mrs. Wax Museum and we just both shake our heads. Like there's no way anyone can listen to that much of me in a row, but you did it. You deserve some type of a special honor for that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like each tweet that I see from you, I mentioned your Twitter handle earlier. I feel like each tweet that I see from you is, is a little bit of a window into your collecting world. So I've really enjoyed following your account. At the same time, I still don't know a lot about the man behind the handles. So if you don't mind, can you talk a little about what you do 
and give us an overview of your collecting history. Yeah. So the collecting history, uh, I started collecting in the early 90s. Everybody in my family played basketball. So my dad was a Laker fan. So I became a Laker fan. The packs I remember first were early skybox, early hoops. Mm-hmm. And so it's always been basketball cards. I've never done baseball. I've never done football. I think I did a little bit of Lion King, but okay. you know, All right. it's, it's, it's always been basketball and Laker fans. So Magic Johnson was my guy as a kid. And I still have my binder of Magic Johnson cards that I might start up again soon, like filling in some of the blanks that I missed. So Magic was my guy. Every once in a while, my dad would come home from work with a pack of cards. Boom. And I loved it. You know, I'm, I've been thinking about it. I think it was just a way we've always connected my dad and I through basketball. Right. So I think cards uh, was a big part of that. Okay. There's also, I had a couple friends in the neighborhood as well. PDX Graffin at PDX Graffin is my friend Chaz. And he's really more than a friend. He's like uh, my brother, no law. And we've been friends since we were little kids. And so he was my first trading partner. You know, mm-hmm. I'd be in his room or he'd be in my room and we're trading cards. Uh, we also had another friend around the block. I remember Shaq in what is it, 92, 93 Ultra. Mm-hmm. And I remember his family, they had a pool table in the main room and boxes and boxes of ultra, which was super nice at the time. And they were like, I remember them being hundred dollars a kilo in the old cards. Dream team was a big deal back then. Mm-hmm. So you were, I mean, junk wax era, you were like fully immersed in this, right? A lot of people came like myself came along after that. You were in this thing. That's awesome. Yeah. That was my jam. And I did it up until I was always lower end collector, collector's choice, et cetera, until I would say like 98. When I looked, Mm -hmm. when I came back to the hobby and looked at my old binders, it was like 98 was kind of the the cutoff. So what what happened then? What happened in 98? College, school, you know, what happened? If I had to guess, because I have a lousy memory, so I'll have to guess high school, you know, just, just other things. Playing, I played basketball. I was playing sports. I grew up involved with my church. So I spent a lot of time doing other things and cards wasn't one of them really. Right. So when did you come back? Obviously you came back at some point. Yeah, I came back. I think it was confirmed by the date that you mentioned uh, pre this interview starting this, this interaction, 2016. That's, that's okay. the date that I had. And so it kind of confirmed it, what you said. That's the year that I started refereeing basketball. Okay. Uh, I mean, I guess the way that that goes is I was an adult me. I was doing a little change in career. I needed a way to make some extra money. And if we throw back to my brother, no law, Chaz, he was refing and he had always been trying to get me to ref. And I was like, I need some money. And he's like, <laughs> you could ref. And so I started refing. And then because he had been refing for a long time, we started spending time together because learning to referee is a, it's a thing. It's not, Mm -hmm. there's very little that's natural about it. So every single thing, the steps you take, the way you, I changed the way I walk. I changed the way I run. I changed the way I point like all the things you change everything. And so I spent a lot of time with him studying and he would give me feedback and help me out. And then at halftime of the game, whatever game we were watching, he had a garage full of cards because he was, he stayed more active than I did. And so okay. we'd go look at cards. And my nephew also had started collecting at the time. And it was just like between hanging out with Chaz and hanging out with my nephew, it was like, hey, there's referees in the back of some of these things. That's kind of cool. I, I referee and they're on there. And so it just kind of stuck out in a different way. Bam. 
Hmm. That was it. That, that's awesome. Now, you know, refereeing, I would think is not something that's easy to sell someone on. Uh, I think about a referee or an umpire or any type of, of an official in sports, and it, it just doesn't look like something that I would want to do. You, you, you look like you have to put up with a lot, right? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. And, you know, nationally, maybe internationally, but at least nationally, there are shortages in officials and they're having a hard time covering games because people aren't signing up and sticking around to do it. So I think that is the case. You know, people will try to they'll be like, hey, you want to golf? And I'm like, no, nah. refereeing is my expensive and difficult hobby. There's this whole world and I won't go too deep into it, but I will just say, if you want to like try and climb a ladder, it's expensive because you got to mm. try. There are camps, there are summer camps where you got to go to improve or try and get hired and you got to fly and then stay somewhere and rent a car. Oh, wow. and you're paying. You're it's paying. like travel ball for referees then. Yeah. It's an expensive hobby and you get yelled at a lot. So well, another thing that you said in there that I thought was interesting is, is kind of how you had a couple people in your life that were bringing cards um, kind of back into your life. And I know I have people that will ask me like, Hey, how can I, um, how can I make this hobby, you know, consumable to the people around me? And I always tell them just um, normalize it for them, you know, bring it to where they're at. And lo and behold, here's a great example right here. So I appreciate you sharing that story with us. Now um, you mentioned that fact that you're a teacher. So that's one big thing that we have in common. You've also done quite a bit of work as a referee, which we just mentioned here. There might not be much of an answer to this, but I was wondering if those two things had any major effect on um, your collecting philosophy and what you've chosen to pursue over the years. You know, early uh, collecting, I would no, I would not say because when I became a professional was in the window when I wasn't collecting. But since I started officiating and now looking at what I do, one of the things that I hear in the officiating world is good officials are detail oriented. Hmm. And I think I've kind of learned that about myself, that I am kind of detail oriented. And I, when I think about the things that I, I like in my collection, which is basketball cards that have referees in the background, it's kind of a detail-oriented thing. It's not something you can't just search on eBay or trading card database or whatever. I can't just search uh, <laughs> where are the referees on which card. I right. can't type it in. You know, it's like a manual thing, and I have to spot it out. And I think that's something I like doing. And when I, and actually going back to my my old binders when I found them after I came back, I opened it up and I did have like a couple pages of uh, Dennis Rodman in the background mm -hmm. cards. Okay. So maybe it is kind of a thing that I've done for a while. I don't know if teaching influenced that. I don't know if refereeing influenced that. I, I just think that's a part of who I am. I think refereeing helped me learn who I am. And obviously refereeing, I didn't know anything about referees until I started refereeing. When I played, I didn't say anything to them. When I coached, I didn't say anything to them. So it was kind of a mind opening thing, you know, new to me. Right. Now you mentioned how there's no, uh, there's no listing for refs out there that you could just search and it is easily available to you. I have noticed that Com C has started to do that with some of the Jordan and the Kobe cards, like some of the bigger names. But if you're looking for like Jason Williams or Jeff Foster or certainly referees, they're not going to do that for you. So obviously a lot of what you do then is referee related. And that actually led to our brief interaction that we had years ago. Uh, long before Wax Museum podcast was a thing. Uh, do you remember much about this? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, 
Because again, my memory isn't always the greatest, but what I do remember was, so 2016, I had just started finding cards with referees on them. And I actually remember the purchase, I think, of the stack of cards that I first got. Don't remember where I bought them from, but I found a card from the finals. I think it's Mm -hmm. the 72, 73 set that I now know that you were chasing and trying to get autographed. It was a big project for you. And so I found a card that had a little teeny tiny ref finals ref. (laughs) And I, so I guess I Googled it. (laughs) I don't know. One of the other binders from my childhood collection, I did a lot of TTMs, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And so is through the mail for people that are listening through the mail autographs. Thank you. And so I think maybe that's just kind of what fired back up. I was like, Oh, I have this referee and I must've Googled who was on the crew or for those games. Uh, and then I must've Googled his name to try and find out who he was or if I could send it. And I must've found your blog about your project and specifically a post about getting the referee from that game to sign the card, because I think it was a multiple player card. If I remember correctly. Um, I want to say it was, I want to say it was a Walt Frazier card. Um, but I could be wrong, but it, I, I know the referee. Do you remember who the referee was by any chance? Oh, Jack Madden. It was Jack Madden. Yes. Yeah. So it was Jack Madden in the background. And um, I had a blog at the time called Chasing 72. And I also had a corresponding blog for the 68 baseball set called Chasing 68. Those are both long gone, but those were projects I was working on. And like you said, you know, that was a huge project. It took me nine years to finish. And yeah, out of, you know, this, this blog, I can assure you did not get a lot of traffic. So I, I had a mail in form on there and I get a, um, a question from you about like, Hey, you know, introducing yourself, I'm looking to track down Jack Madden. I'm like, wow, there are other people out there that are actually looking for these referees. Um, I was just doing it because it's like, all right, you know, there were some tough cards in that set. Like if I can't get Wilt Chamberlain now, who else is on this card? How am I going to kind of pass this off until I can get a, a better version? So yeah, that was my solution. Jack Madden, the referee. And, and I'm, I'm actually, you know, really glad that I did that. And, and it led to our first interaction. And uh, we ended up reconnecting, like I said, many, uh, you know, several years later. So um, I would encourage anyone do a big project because you never know, you know, that took me nine years. I had a lot of little stories like this that came about because of that, probably a lot that I've forgotten. Hopefully I'll remember them along the way and I can share them. But um, that was something fun that came as a result of that. But we reconnected on Twitter, I think three years later. So in 2019, and um, that's where you're refs in the back and you have a website called refsintheback.com. So um, you're part of a small group of collectors that's worried about what's in the background of a card as opposed to what's featured front and center. Some of the player collectors have labeled these as I've heard them called shadow cards. I've heard them called cameo cards. And I've had people reach out to me. Why don't you do an episode on cameo cards or shadow cards? And you messaged me something similar in March of 2021. So here we are. At what point, though, you, you mentioned, I, I guess it would be when you're with your um, with your brother-in-law, at what point did you decide to really focus on the shadow cards, though, and why? So quick clarification, Chaz is a brother, no law. There is no law attached to that. No law, okay. Yeah, he's my brother, no law. So, well, when I came back to collecting, so like I said, started refereeing, 
looking at basketball cards i've always thought basketball cards are cool the cooler the player the cooler the card but those things are expensive man mm -hmm. and it just i saw this as something unique something i could kind of attach to and do it inexpensively so as soon as i 2016 when i came back you know around the time that i sent you that email uh around the time that i started refin that's when i started digging into this thing again and that's it just stuck you know your frequent guest s howley or showley or whatever <laughs> right. whatever it is the northeastern correspondent because i think you asked him about his collection his crowder right. collection mm -hmm. and his reasons are kind of the same as my reasons and I don't, this is not a quote, this is a summary, but he can't afford the ballers, <laughs> me either. Something unique without going broke, mm -hmm. heck yeah. And the one I, I really liked is he said, people can't extort me, <laughs> right. you know? Uh, They're trying. I think what he meant by that was, you know, if they have a really cool Jay Crowder card, he's the real, he's re maybe the only one. And so right. with referee cards, it's kind of like that too. I don't think anybody's gonna up the price on me because there's they found a referee. I mean, they might, but it's just a little niche that is interesting to me. It's inexpensive. I'm a nickel dime quarter box guy. So this kind of fits in with that. It allows Mrs. Refs in the back to not hate me. <laughs> the other thing that I just kind of thought of right now is, you know, the referee world, occasionally you run into referees and I've been able to give a referee their card. Oh, wow. Which I think, which I think is pretty cool. What's been the reception to that when they see those? Most of them think it's really cool. You know, uh, and I've been able to do it in person a couple times and TTM a few times. Typically, it's somebody who's older from a previous generation. Like, I don't only collect NBA cards, but I like W cards. I like college. I like the big three. I like Euro League cards, whatever, wh whatever card there is with the referee. But I've been able to connect with some of the people from that era. And I think people from that era are more open to getting a piece of mail. Like it's not necessarily a, a strange thing. Right. Like today, <laughs> I don't know if everybody wants to share a mailing address or would understand the mail thing. So usually it's been really cool. And some people have been like very, very cool. Uh, many people have signed copies and sent back to me. Some people have sent me relics from their life, like passes from the NCAA tournament. I have a pair of shoes. So some people have really enjoyed it, I think. That's really cool. I, I know um, I've had people ask me about this show, and I've been fortunate enough to talk to a few former players. And, and without this show, that would have been kind of awkward. Like, hey, can I talk to you on the phone for 30 minutes just because? So it sounds like you know, having those items and having those cards has kind of been like a, maybe a social conduit to speak with those people and to really get to know those people better. So um, that's pretty awesome. Now you mentioned a resource earlier that you use to help you in this hunt. And I use it a little bit for research, but I'm not involved as much as I probably should be there. I think you've been slowly trying to get me more active there, but that would be the trading card database. Can you explain for listeners what all they can find there and then how you utilize that to help your collection and then also others in the process? So the trading card database is awesome. I found it a couple of years ago. It is a crowdsource tool where checklists, there are checklists of any cards you would want. There are scans of any cards you would want up on the site. And so a new set comes up, I can click on that 2021, whatever it is, prism draft. And when it first comes out, there's no images, 
which is a bummer for me because, like I said, I can't just Google referee cards from the 2021 Prism draft set. I, I have to manually look through each and every one. So what it started for me was a tool to click on a set and look through each and every single little card so I could check and see if there's a referee in the background. It has become more than that for me. Now I, I am active in trading. I saw some stats today. I didn't know they had stats. And I saw a new thing today on the site. And I think I've traded like 2,000 cards this year on there, which is really cool to me. Yeah. The other thing is really helpful. You can create lists on there, which I do. I have a want list and I have a trade list. And I have a bunch. my trade list is a bunch of cards that I don't want anymore. And I would happily trade them for any cards that have a referee on them. And so the site has a tool where it matches your want lists. And then you can just, with the cl a few clicks, it will say, hey, here's the list populated, here's the list populated. You can do some countering back and forth and bam, you can make trades happen, <laughs> which wow. is awesome. Like I said, I want to turn these cards I don't want into cards I do want and plug holes in my, in my project. My project, by the way, the goal, the card goal is to collect two of each card with a referee in the background, uh, visible face, like potentially identifiable. Okay. Uh, that way, if I ever met that referee, I could give them a copy and maybe they would sign one for me. So I want to say there's a, uh, a shack rookie you were looking for. Maybe I'm wrong here, or it's, or maybe it's the, maybe it's the, actually the Harold minor rookie. There's some card out there where like, you're looking for, um, a picture with a little bit more nose or something like that. Do you remember what card I'm referring to? Yeah. So that is, that's 92, 93 ultra 93, 94 ultra also has some of these. Uh, and I call them OC cards. Like I'm going to search for OC. The Fleer ultra doesn't have borders to the image. And so some of the cards are cut differently. And when there's a referee on the side of the image, you can have like, one ear showing in one <laughs> copy of the card and then if you get a different one you could have like all the way past his nose i don't know i kind of joke i have like a nose test you know if i can see half of a referee's nose that's like golden uh and yeah there are some great cards from some of the ultra sets that are like i'm searching for the most i don't know if it's off center or on center or what it is but just the ones that are cut just so that the referee is featured in the image you know it's kind of a fun chase. It's interesting that that's become a, a big chase. And then also you had the uh, the boxes of Ultra in your buddy's game room. So maybe there's a connection there. Maybe it was meant to be. No doubt. It's actually a little, little nostalgic, that specific Shaq card, because that's the one that I imagine was worth 100 bucks and I would never have had. But now I have it and there's the referee on it. I got to get one signed. That would kind of complete the whole thing. So do you know who the referee is? I do on the Shaq card. Uh -huh. It's uh, it's Ronnie Nunn. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, then, fairly well known ref. All right. Well, then we need to we need to do what we can to get one of those uh, to get a signed copy of that. So let's we'll keep that in mind. Um, another tool that you use to help grow your collection seems to be Twitter. Obviously, like I said, we reconnected on there. I'm constantly looking for more basketball card accounts there, and you're not on Instagram, so I know you know you can't quite compare the two of them. Uh, but how would you describe the basketball card community on Twitter? First of all, that's hard for me to describe. I know you were talking about how the community on Instagram with basketball cards is pretty great. I would say the basketball card community on Twitter is small. It's mm -hmm. not a, it's not, it's not super big. I mean, there are people on there who are showing off cards, which is one of my favorite thing. 
uh, card underscore indie mm-hmm. is one of my favorite. He posts a cool card of the day, you know, and I like that kind of thing. My brother, no law, Chaz, PDX Graffin. He's got the Skybox set that he's been working on, similar to your uh, mm-hmm. 7273. He's got a Skybox set that he's trying to get autographed, which I think is sweet to follow. Uh, at Folks Cards does a, has a really cool custom his own custom card project. I don't he's not selling them, he's not making them for anybody else, but he creates things, gets them autographed by players, repurposes uh, memorabilia, and puts them in his cards. So there's cool things like that. I would say the most prolific thing is stack sellers. Okay. A lot of stack sellers on Twitter. Okay, good. Tell me more. First off, what is stack se- uh, selling, and tell me more about that. Stack selling, my understanding of stack selling, I I participate uh, in purchasing infrequently and I participate selling even less frequently, but it is offering cards for sale. I like how you put it. It's the quarter box of the internet. And so people will, okay, I'm doing a stack sale Thursday night, 5 p.m. with with a bunch of fun gifts or whatever for uh, attention. And then they just start posting cards. This card, these eight cards, 50 cents each. These eight cards, quarter each. These eight cards, a dollar each. Oh, freebie for anybody who's stacking. Mm-hmm. So stacking is means that you've jumped in on the sale. You've claimed a card. Some people have grids. You know, I'll take card B4, right. whatever it is. Yeah, they'll put like a big piece of poster board out and like, yeah, like you said, there's a grid. There's letters on one side, numbers on the other. It is like super official. Yeah, and it's actually like I said, I've done a couple sales, small ones, and it's tough to keep track of everything and who's taking a card first and did I get the notification? And there's a lot to go keep track of. So I think those grids would actually be really helpful. But like you said, quarter box of the internet. If you start buying one card, then you're pretty much hooked. Like yeah. if somebody's making, selling some cards and you're like, Ooh, I need that card. Then after that, you're at their mercy. Cause you're like, Oh, I'll take that for 25 cents. Oh, it's only a dollar. Oh, I <laughs> I'll take it for a dollar. Well, and with shipping though. Yeah. And I know people, if you do like one card, they'll do it in a, with just a single stamp. But once you get above a certain number of cards, it's got to go in a bubble mailer. So you really got to be, you got to make an actual stack. It's got to live up to its name. Um, but I don't, and I could be wrong. I don't see that on Instagram. I see people having story sales and selling like relics and autos and stuff. I've never seen a stack sale on there, uh, at least not to not to the degree that I see it on Twitter. So that's something that makes it unique. Um, and I, I'm trying to get more Twitter people on because I think it's a, a cool little community. And, you know, you're an example of that, obviously, and some of the people that you named there. Those are all great follows. Randy, our time has flown by today. I can't tell you how much I've, I've enjoyed this. It's been an absolute blast for me. I have to admit, you've got me looking at cards a little bit different. Um, even though I've, I've had yes. friends talk about cameo cards and shadow cards, um, you are the most committed person I've ever seen to this and probably the most unique example that I've seen of this. Before I let you go, though, I want to extend an opportunity, that the same one that I give to every other guest, if you'd like to, feel free to plug any of your social handles, uh, your website, any projects you're working on, anything you're looking for specifically. These next few moments are yours. Thanks, Kyle. Twitter handle, at refs in the back. Website, at refsintheback.com. You want to make some PWE trades on Trading Card Database, at refs in the back. 
that's pretty i i have so many cards listed the way i keep track of what i want is on trading card database and that's just the easiest way to do it because there's so many so if you want to trade or whatever there's my want list on there you can figure it out kyle i just want to say thanks to you for your show because your show is awesome man i i appreciate it because you treat the cards like history you know and you give context to things and i imagine that it takes a lot of preparation and you're doing a lot of research because it's not just hey this is a cool card hey this is a cool set you you have information and you have things to connect it and i just really appreciate it man it's it's a fun listen and it and you bring people together like our old interaction on your non-existent blog you're bringing people together so thanks well thank you i i appreciate the opportunity and and this hey this show gives me an excuse to have these types of conversations with collectors like you. So um, this is not the last time we'll interact. Um, definitely not. I'm sure I'm, I'm going to be looking through some comments here pretty soon, try and get you some refs that you need. So thanks again, Randy. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to say thanks again to Randy for taking time out of his schedule to come on the show. I think you'll be hard pressed to find anyone that's got a collecting objective as unique as that one. If you enjoyed that, make sure to reach out to him and let him know. Remember, he's on Twitter, not on Instagram, but he's pretty easy to track down nonetheless. If you can't find him, reach out to me and I'd be happy to help. As usual, you can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site which is waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>